Hello, and welcome to Hope Church. We're a local church with chill style, real faith, and no perfect people allowed. Thanks for checking out our podcast. This is a message from our SoCal location in the Santa Cruz, California area. We hope this message is encouraging. If you live near either of our locations, we'd love to have you join us for one of our many Sunday services. All right. Hey, good morning, everybody. Hey, welcome to Hope Church. My name is Tim. If we haven't met yet, I'm part of the team here. And um, <clears throat> hold on, just a second before before we get started here. I need I need I need some coffee. This this is a this has been a long morning. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah it's so good, it's so good. I get to enjoy just a moment with my coffee this morning, right? Is that is that okay? Is that a, is that a godly thing to do? Yeah, and some of you are like, "Amen." Yes, coffee is next to godliness. Um, so let, let's let's figure out here this morning what kind of people that we're that we that we have in this room, out on the patio, online. Uh, you can put this in the comments. How many of you drink your coffee black? How many of you? Yeah, we got some in here. Uh, so it's a, definitely a minority, people who drink it black. All right, so how many of you then uh, like a little bit of coffee with your cream and sugar? Yeah, yeah. It's a little more than, than just, than just the, the ones who drink it black. So, um, so I know there are people in this church. In fact, there's, there are people in this room this morning. I'm not making eye contact. Who, if there is not Almond Joy Creamer, in the mug with the coffee, you know who you are. Um, they will not put it in their mouth. And um, I don't know. Who, okay, so so who here likes the the flavored creamers when you put it in? Yeah, we've got some people back here. All right, in the comments, put your favorite flavored creamer in there. So about um, seven years ago now, that's a really uh, spiritual, godly number. If you don't know. Uh, seven is a number for God. And so about seven years ago, I'm just now realizing that. Um, so seven years ago, I, in January, so every, every year, I should say this, every year in the month of January, I go without something for the month of January. Um, we have, a, we have a, a, a churchy term for that. We call it fasting. And, I, and for the month of January, I go without something as a way to start my year. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to put a bit more attention and focus on what God has for me for the coming year. And so I will go without something. And, um, and about seven years ago, I decided to go without cream and sugar in my coffee. And, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't like mature enough in the faith, and I still am not, to like go without the actual coffee. Um, I wasn't going to go that far. Come on, we're not like radicals here. You know, we're not like extremists. Um, you know, I wasn't going to like go without coffee. But, um, but I decided cream and sugar. I'm going to go without it. And here's what I found out. Has anyone ever made the switch to do away with cream and sugar in their coffee? Anybody else here? Yeah, you feel my pain. Some of you guys over here, you, you feel it. All right, so here's what happened. The biggest surprise to me was that I realized just how much coffee out there is just absolute crap. Just terrible, terrible coffee. 
you know, like in college, especially, um, we had a, um, where, where I went to college, we had a Dunkin' Donuts uh, there, and I would get Dunkin' coffee with like cream and sugar in it. And I tried it after I stopped doing cream and sugar for that month. I had a, like, I was somewhere and I'm like, oh, let me see what Dunkin' tastes like without cream and sugar. No, don't ever do that. Don't ever do that. It's, so there is, so I became a coffee snob. Like I could actually taste the coffee though. That's the thing. I could taste the coffee. And so when I, when I started getting away from cream and sugar, and by the way, seven years, I haven't gone back. I haven't gone back. I, 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 and now, if I, if I don't know how I would be in this situation, but if I was ever in a situation where I raised a cup of coffee to my mouth with cream and sugar in it and I took a drink, I would, I would just like spit it out. It, it, would, it would be like so just like, oh, it's just, I, I can't do it anymore. You know, um, cream and sugar in the coffee, um, once you remove it, it helps you be able to taste what the thing actually is. And so I really, really love good coffee. I will spend extra money on good coffee. Um, I will make it in a good way, right? Like if it's a pour over or a French press, or if you have some new way of making coffee that you feel is better than all the rest, tell me about it. Come on, come on. We're in this thing, we're in this life together, right? Share with me. Um, I want the good ways to make coffee. but you begin to taste like what it really should be. You know, anytime that we add something in, we begin to dilute what it actually is. And ultimately, at the end of the day, you come away with, you're not even drinking the actual coffee. You're actually drinking the, the cream and the sugar and everything else that fills your mouth. You know, the life of following Jesus is a lot like that. It's a lot like that. You know, over time, we have a tendency as human beings to add things to stuff. And it dilutes from what it is. Have you ever made a recipe and you forgot an ingredient? Or you put in an ingredient that shouldn't have been in there? And you make this thing and you're psyched for it. It looks good. It smells good. And then you go to taste it and you're like, oh, no, that's so wrong. I did something wrong there. If you've ever had that... Have you ever been in a place where, um, let's see, um, socially, have you ever been in a place where, where you are the one who just doesn't quite fit into a social setting? Um, have you ever been in a setting where somebody sort of enters into the picture and, and, and it's, it's so clear that like they don't, like they're not fitting in. They just, they, they just, they're, they're away or they're, as there's just something there, they're just, or like it's like a super chill group of people. You're just like hanging out and somebody like high energy comes in and you're like, whoa, hey man, come on. This is like, like we're, we're, you know, there are some people that I know that don't have that on off switch socially. Like, they come in high energy, and they stay high energy. It doesn't matter what. And you want to say to them, you want to pull them aside and be like, hey, um, can I teach you how to, like, read the room a little bit? Because you're not, you're not reading the room, man. You're, you're, you're just, like, all over the place. And have you ever been in, a, in any type of setting? It could be a recipe. It could be a coffee. It could be a social setting where it just didn't seem to fit. Um, we like to add stuff. To things um, so much so that we lose sight of what the things actually are and and the church is no no stranger to that 
If you've been around the church for any length of time, you know how churches will add things into the mix when it comes to following Jesus. And all of a sudden, they become all about those things. So I'll give you an example. Um, the church that I grew up in, I have lots of fond memories. I have lots of um, good things that I take from that um, season and that I'm very, very grateful for. Um, but I grew up in a church that we would now call, that I would call, I would use a term called legalistic. They were all about secondary things that they had allowed to become primary things. So, for example, and if you're new to church or you've never been around a church like this, this you, you, you might be like, what? How, what? How is that even possible? So in, in this church, women couldn't wear pants. That was unacceptable. Um, there was no, like, like this drum set back here, that was ungodly. You, you did not have any drums in any, in any kind of music or else it was rock music. It was the devil's music, right? This is the kind of church I grew up in. Um, you didn't go to, it was interesting, the way, the way that things were applied. You didn't go to a movie theater because you might ruin your testimony. Someone doesn't know when you go into, they see you coming out of a movie theater, they don't know that you didn't go to see some bad movie, right? And so you might ruin your testimony. However, however, it was perfectly acceptable to go to the local video rental store that had a porn section in the back. Like literally had a porn section in the back. You go through the door in the back and there was an adult section in the back. So you could go to that one and come out and it was okay, but you couldn't go to the theater and publicly let people see, you know. So the church had added a bunch of things to following Jesus that it just never was designed to be. And they, they weren't the first ones to do it. If you open up your Bible, all throughout what we call the Old Testament, Everything from the creation of, day, uh, creation of humanity to the birth of Jesus. The Old Testament, you'll find God had a set of laws, a, a set of uh, guidelines for his people that he put into place. There was, a, there, was a, uh, there was a set number of those. And by the time Jesus came along, the religious leaders had added hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of their own laws to the laws of God. So, for example, God said on the Sabbath day, one day a week, don't do any work. Set your work down and rest. In fact, that command of God is still in effect today. You should be taking a Sabbath day rest every week. This isn't what our message is about today, but if you're not taking a Sabbath day rest, start taking one now. God wants us to, to rest. He modeled rest in the act of creation. He created for six days and rested on the seventh day. So God said, rest on the seventh day. By the time Jesus came along, the religious leaders had defined what rest and what work meant. And for them, work meant a certain number of steps in a day. So on the Sabbath day, it was not work if you, if you took 44 steps. But when you took that 45th step, you were now considered to be working and you were in violation of God's law. Now, God never said 45 steps 
is, is, is my limit. He just said, don't work. That was, that was man's doing. They came along and added a bunch of stuff. One of the things that I love the most about Hope Church is that we are intentionally committed to not putting lots of stuff between you and Jesus. There's just not a lot that needs to be there in order for you to encounter the love of Jesus, accept the love of Jesus, and then live your life in light of the love of Jesus. There just doesn't need to be a lot of things there. We don't have to add a bunch of those things to make you feel like you're measuring up or you're not measuring up. That's not the life of following Jesus. And in fact, today, when we get into Acts chapter 15, which is where we're going to be, we're going to look at what the very first Jesus community did when somebody came in and tried to add something to Jesus and tried to make it about more than simply receiving the love of Jesus by grace through faith. And then we're going to watch as this first community navigated that. How did they encounter something that was added to Jesus that was false and work that through in a way that resulted in, 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 a, in a better situation for the local church instead of dividing the church? If you've ever been around a church that has been divided because of secondary stuff, it's so painful. And churches will divide over the stupidest things like ridiculous things, and so many people are sort of left in the wake of all of that conflict. That's not the way of Jesus. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 15. You can turn there. Here's the truth that we're going to be exploring today in our short time together. The truth is that Jesus plus anything equals nothing. We are not to add anything to Jesus there's nothing that we need to add to Jesus that isn't already in the scriptures. And when you add anything to Jesus, when you make following Jesus about the, the truth and love of Jesus plus anything else that you feel like should be added in there, you've now made it all about nothing. You've, you've, you've taken all of the love of Jesus and you've thrown it by the wayside and you've made it about what you believe it should be about. And that is not the heart of Jesus, not what he wanted the church to be about. All right. So we're in this series called Along the Way. And what we're doing is we're looking at uh, the second part of the book of Acts, A-C-T-S. And it acts as the history of the first 30 years of the church, a group of people trying to live out the ways of Jesus. And so Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. He's left earth. And now this first group of people is responsible for trying to live out the truth in the, in the way of Jesus. And so Acts chapter 15, we're going to jump in. And why do we call it along the way? Because Jesus said, go and make disciples of all of the nations. Um, invite people into my love, just like you've been invited into my love. Now that word go means along the way. And so for many of us, we're we see going, we see, we see sharing the love of Jesus as something that people go and do out there. Right now, our own Pastor Savannah is on her way. She's in the air today, uh, I believe, going to Greece. And she'll be there for a couple weeks, and she's going to be sharing the love of Jesus with a needy community there um, uh, there in Greece, and we're so stoked for her. You're going to see updates from her, video updates on our social media. So if you don't follow us on social media, do that because you'll want to see what's happening in Greece as she serves over there. 
But lots of people see going as something you go do over there. Like I, got, I get on a plane and I go to Greece, right? Jesus meant along the way, in your everyday life, when you go to the store and to the bank and to work and to school and whatever it is that you do, when you ride your, your motorcycles, you know, when you go to the beach, you know, when you go for a run, when you go surfing, when you go get a cup of coffee, hopefully with no cream and sugar so you can fully taste the goodness of God that is coffee. Um, along the way, invite people into the love of Jesus through your life. That's what Jesus meant. So Acts chapter 15, you ready? Here we go. Let's jump in. Verse 1, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch. Now, this is where Paul and Barnabas were based. If you don't remember, last Sunday we talked about their very first missionary journey. They were sent out. They told people about Jesus. They healed people. They did some amazing stuff. God did some cool things. They, they, they had persecution big time. Paul, if you weren't here last Sunday, Paul was um, stoned to death, basically. They, they, they picked up stones and, and threw them at him until he died, essentially. They dragged him out of the city, and the believers came around him. And we don't know if it was a miracle, if they prayed over him. We don't know what happened, but Paul was miraculously saved, and he went back into the city and told them more about Jesus. This is what has just happened. So Paul and Barnabas now have come back to their home base, which is Antioch. So it's like if we sent out of here, right, I'm just going to use just like whoever's closest to me right now. It's like if we took Tim and we took Aki and we sent these two dudes to go tell somewhere, someone somewhere about Jesus. They experienced some crazy stuff. They, they saw God move in tremendous ways. And then they came back to Hope Church. This is their home. This is their home base. They're with this body of believers, right? This is what's happened now. So certain people came down from Judea to Antioch, and they were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Now this, this was a big, big deal. So they were saying Jesus plus circumcision equals salvation. How many, can I, can I get an amen in here from all the dudes that are glad that that formula isn't in place, right? Like, like Jesus plus circumcision of all things equals salvation. Oh man, talk about putting barriers between like a person and the love of Jesus. You know, like, oh my goodness. But they were teaching this. So look at verse 2. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. I love this because it's a picture of church leadership that was willing to stand in the gap and say, no, no, that's not right. That is not the truth of Jesus. That is not what it means to follow after Jesus, to put your, your faith in Jesus, to receive his love, to say yes to his love. Thank God for, for church leadership that knows the way of God enough that they're willing to stand in the gap and say, no, that's not right. I can tell you here at Hope Church, just being part of the team and being in meetings and conversations with, with the leadership here, um, it's not uncommon for us to regularly stand in the gap and say, nope. That is not what God has to say about that. That is not what God teaches about that. 
we, we are willing to step into that and protect what we would call the doctrine here at, at Hope Church because we believe that it's true and that it's right. Now, if you know anything about Hope Church, we're going to do that with an extraordinary amount of grace and love. And the goal of correction is never to cut somebody off. The goal of correction is always to reconcile back to the family. Right? And so Paul and Barnabas step up. And here's what happens. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go to Jerusalem to see the apostles and the elders about this question. So here's the situation. Jerusalem was the hub of the church. This is where the church started. Right? The local church started in Jerusalem. And so there was a council, there was a, like a board that, that was part of the leadership there that heard cases that needed to be settled within the churches in the world in that day. So Paul and Barnabas were chosen with some of the other believers to go to Jerusalem and ask them about this. This was a big deal because this was all about... Um, salvation like how do you how do you experience relationship with god is it by grace through faith alone or are there other things that needed to be added to it and now before you judge too quickly you had a group of jewish people who were trying to reconcile hundreds and hundreds thousands of years of, of their relationship with God, which has now changed in a matter of like a decade. All of the sudden now, they're being told that Jesus is the Messiah. Oh, and by the way, he brought in a new covenant, a new way of doing things, which means we don't have to abide by all of the old covenant stuff. We now have this new thing. A, a relationship with God now comes through believing in Jesus as Messiah, as Savior, and placing your faith in Him. You simply receive the gift that He offers you of His love by faith, believing that He is who He says He is. And if you'll do that, your relationship with God is restored. That's it. Now, the radical, the message of grace through faith to enter into relationship with God is radical. It's radical in its simplicity. Even today, some people find it really, really difficult to believe that that's it. You, you, mean, you mean that I can simply acknowledge that Jesus is God, that he died for my sin, that he was resurrected, bringing victory over that sin. And if I believe in that and receive the gift of his love, that's all that it takes? Like, I don't have to do anything? I, I don't have to say a bunch of prayers? I don't have to go to confession? I don't have to, like, like uh, abide by a list of, of rules? Like, I just have to simply believe in Jesus, receive the gift of his love, and, and by doing that, um, I've been restored in my relationship with God? Yes. Yes. That's the good news of Jesus. And this is what's at stake. So they go to Jerusalem. They go to Jerusalem much. Uh, the church sent them on their way. And as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. So when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders. 
to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. All right, here we go. This is a showdown. This is a showdown, you guys. On the one side, you've got Paul and Barnabas and those who were following after Jesus, who had experienced the love of Jesus. They had seen God give his love to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. They had seen the Holy Spirit be given to the Gentiles. They had seen people who have nothing to do with Judaism receive the full benefit of the love of Jesus, right? That's on one side. On the other side, they've got a group of people who are trying to reconcile all of their history with now this new thing. Could it be that it's simply by believing in Jesus and accepting the gift of his love, turning away from your sin, right? Giving that over to him, believing in who he is and receiving his love. Could it be that that's all that it was? This is what's at stake. In this council meeting, they could have come out of the meeting saying, yes, Jesus, and yes, you have to abide by the law of Moses, the old covenant. They could have happened. And so this is all of what hangs in the balance right here. In this place right now, they're in a place of uncertainty. They, they had been, their, their core belief system had been challenged and they were in a place of uncertainty. Have you ever been in a place of uncertainty in your life? Where you just weren't sure quite what was happening or what to do? Have you ever had um, in your life, you don't, you don't have to raise your hand on this, but have you ever had a crisis of faith before? I hope you have, actually. I hope you've wrestled with the things of God. I hope you've been in a place in your life where you have doubted and questioned and have come through the fire because you've engaged it and said, is this really true? Is God who he says he is? Is there a God? Is he who he says he is? Is Jesus real? Is, this, is all of this true? Is it right? Some of you are here today or you're watching online or you're out on the patio and you're, you're asking those questions right now. Props to you for coming and being a part of a Jesus community to explore the things of Jesus and try to figure it out. That's awesome. You're here and you're, and you're, you're trying to get a sense of is this true? Is it right? If you've ever been in a place of uncertainty... Here's what happens next in this first Jesus community. I think they have a great, great way to show us here. Verse 6. The apostles and the elders met to consider this question then. After much discussion, can you imagine being in that room? The grace of Jesus, the love of Jesus, faith, what it means to be in relationship with God and, and circumcision and the Old Testament laws and all of those things like... Oh, man, what a, what a just a monumental discussion this must have been. Back and forth. Here we go. After much discussion, Peter gets up. Peter was arguably the leader of the first church. Peter gets up, and he addresses this council. And he says, Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows, my, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. 
He did not discriminate between us and them. He purified their hearts by faith. Not by keeping the law, but by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? We couldn't keep the law, and now you're saying to these Gentiles, these outsiders to you, that they need to keep the law. Why? That makes no sense, he says. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved just as they are. So this was Peter. Now Peter, his story was that he had a vision from God that he should eat meat. And all of you carnivores are like, hallelujah, it's in the Bible. Um, And all of the plant-based people, like myself, 99% plant-based, Say, yeah, that's true, but the original created order, God did not have people eating meat. That came after the fall, I'm just saying. Um, (laughs) Peter got this vision, and he was like, what? Three times he told God, no, I'm not going to do that. And uh, and finally, God said, "I, I have not made this unclean for you now, so eat. And he did. And then he got up, and God sent him to a Gentile called Cornelius, and when he got to Cornelius' house, all of his family and his greater community were there, all Gentiles. God had called Peter to that house, and he, and he told them of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and they all placed their faith in Jesus, and the Holy Spirit fell on them. They didn't keep a single law of the Old Covenant, the Judaic law, and they received the love of Jesus and the Holy Spirit as well. This is Peter's experience. Now watch, the whole assembly became silent as they listened to them. Barnabas and Saul then started telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. So you had Peter's um, testimony of what God had done in his life. Then you had Paul and Barnabas saying, this is our experience as we told Gentiles about Jesus, right? Finally, watch this, James, this is the brother of Jesus, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon Peter has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written. After this, now he's quoting the prophets, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant uh, prophets. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it that the rest of mankind... Gentiles, may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things from long ago. So here's what you have. You have Peter stepping up saying, I've experienced God moving in this way. Paul stepping up saying, I've experienced it this way. Then you have James stepping up and just bringing like, he's bringing the haymaker. Like this is, this is the final blow. He steps up and he pulls out the scripture. He brings the Bible into the thing. And how many of you know that when you start to bring the Bible into the conversation, that all of a sudden you begin to get some understanding? They're moving from uncertainty to understanding now. 
They're hearing the testimony of people, but then they're hearing now the very words of God that are speaking to their situation. Do you have places in your life where you are experiencing uncertainty right now? Go to the Bible. Go to the words of God. It's the most tangible thing that we have. We can hold it in our hands. We can study it. We can learn it. We can hear God's voice through it. Go to the word of God. In our church, I can tell you as far as our leadership is concerned, when we have uncertainty, when we're being challenged in one way or another, we go to the word of God. What does the Bible have to say about this? What does God say in his word? This is what they did. This is how they gained understanding. So verse 19, he says, It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are returning, who are turning to God. The James steps up and he says, we shouldn't make this difficult. You know, Paul would go on later to say it like this. As he developed his way of understanding in this, in Ephesians, Paul would say it like this. It is by grace you have been saved Grace is the gift of God. It's the gift of God that you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. There's nothing extra you can do. It's not Jesus plus what you can do. It's the gift of God, not by anything you can do. Otherwise, you might get boastful about that. Like, oh, I did this thing. No, it's all God. Again, Paul would say it like this to the church in Rome. This is a theme in the teaching of Paul in the years to come, and it comes out of this experience we're reading right now in Acts 15. He says it like this in Romans 3. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God, that's the rightness, that's your ability to be right with God. The rightness of God has been made known apart from the law, to which the law and the prophets testify. They were just something God used to point to Jesus. They weren't Jesus. The law and the prophets were not Jesus. They pointed toward Jesus, Paul says. This rightness with God is given through faith in Jesus to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. All have sinned and we've all fall short of God's glory. We've all missed the mark. We're all justified freely then by his grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. This is the good news of Jesus, you guys. That Jesus alone is enough. This is the good news of Jesus. So watch what happens, verse 20. Instead, James goes on to say, we should write to them telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. So they say, okay, we're not going to like have them, we're not going to say you need to be circumcised, Right? And, and, and in fact, we read in verse 30, you jump to verse 30. So the men were sent off and went down back to Antioch. They gathered the church together. They delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Yeah, they were glad. All the dudes were like, oh, yes, there is a God. Okay. They were glad about this. It strengthened the believers. They were encouraged. And after spending time there, they, they were sent out by the believers with the blessing of peace. They returned to Jerusalem. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they and many others taught and preached the word of God. So the Jerusalem elders said, no, it's not Jesus plus anything. Jesus alone is enough. But we are going to ask you to do these things. 
Everything they listed there, by the way, we're not going to go into detail about that today. Everything they listed there, they, they weren't laws and regulations. Here's what they were. They were encouragement to the Gentile believers to not unnecessarily place things between them and the Jewish believers. For example, I, most of what's mentioned there that we want you to abstain from had to deal with clean. And so the, Jew, the Jerusalem leaders were saying, if you flaunt your freedom, if you flaunt your freedom, you're not going to be able to eat with your Jewish believers, your, your Jewish brothers and sisters. Don't do that. Don't unnecessarily separate yourself from the Jewish believers in that way. You won't be able to eat with them. The sexual relations had more to do with their marriage practices. And so um, honor those things in them. Those are things that they're going to abide by and that they're going to, it, it, it doesn't give them salvation, but it's part of who they are and, and, and I don't want you to break fellowship with them because of those things are, are, are what they're saying. Here's the heart of it. Here's what Jesus is saying. In John 17, Jesus said it like this. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for all who will believe in me through their message. He's talking about the apostles' message. And he's saying all of them who will believe, that's you. That's you and me. I pray that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them, you and me, so they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. So here's what happened. Uncertainty led them to a place where they sought understanding. And when they understood, when they engaged the word of God, when they talked it out, when they discussed it, when they heard from God clearly, the end result was unity, brought unity in their lives. This is always the end result of any type of uncertainty in our lives. God wants to bring unity, unity with you and the Father, unity with one to another. This is how the very first community of Jesus followers took conflict, uncertainty, disruption, and saw God turn it into something that brought unity and strength and encouragement. And it's the same with us. It's exactly how God designed us to walk through those seasons as well. At stake here was the law of Moses versus the law of love. Jesus brought the law of love, which always trumps the law of Moses. And so it is in our lives. So here's what's standing between you and your relationship with God and your relationship with others. We hope this message encouraged you to take the next steps in your relationship with God. The cool thing is that you don't have to do it alone. There are a lot of ways that you can get connected here at Hope. Not only do we want you to feel at home at Hope, we'd love to help you find a home. Please check out discoverhope.church and click connect or just email us at info at discoverhope.church. Lastly, we give everything we can away for free and rely 100% on volunteers donations to support this ministry. If you'd like to give to the Mission of Hope Church, you can select the Give option on our website or text any amount to 831-800-2060. Thanks again for tuning in.